0: Well good evening, everyone. Uh, I think your Bible should just fall open in John seventeen so far, but if it doesn't uh, that 's fine we'll have uh, we 'll have the the scriptures on the on the screen as Rob said it 's a great joy for me to land this series uh, focused on this prayer of Jesus in John seventeen and tonight our topic is going to be eternity um, and so in this passage uh, of scripture in this prayer of Jesus, Jesus touches on the theme of what happens when we die, what happens after death, Uh, what is eternal life, and so we're going to be spending a little bit of time on that. Before I get there, I want to just say to you that although you might be in church, you might not yet be a believer in Jesus. We we regularly have people who are at church, but they're on a journey of faith, and I just want to say it's just brilliant that you're here And especially on a night like tonight, because you're going to hear what the Bible says about life after death. And uh, as evidently I was quoted on Instagram this morning, the statistics show that 100% of people die. And so it would be absolutely, yes, that is uh, earth-shatteringly brilliant, Um, but uh, because that is the statistic, it would be nonsensical, it would be idiotic to not think about death. In fact... The Bible says you need to think about death while you're alive, which is another good statement. And so tonight we're going to do that. And I want to just say, if you don't yet believe in Jesus, you could put your faith in Jesus today. So what can we learn about eternity, eternal life from Jesus' prayer? We're going to have four things that we're going to learn from five verses. And we're going to start with uh, verse 1 to 2. And our first point is that Jesus has authority to give eternal life to people. That's what the Scripture says. So let's read Jesus' prayer, the first two verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven, and He said, Father, the hour has come. <clears throat> glorify Your Son, that Your Son may glorify You, since You have given Him, that's Jesus, authority over all flesh, over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In this one line where Jesus prays, I'm just going to read verse 2 again, he says, you have given him, you've given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And so here in this prayer of Jesus, we have confirmed for us that Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, is the only one who can give eternal life to people. He's the only one. In fact, we know this from the stories of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, there's a paralyzed man, and his friends bring him to Jesus. They have to rip open the roof. You might know the story. They lower him down. His problem is that he's paralyzed, and Jesus says to the crowd that are watching on, he says, so that you might know that I can forgive sins, I'm going to heal this guy's legs, That's why he heals his legs, so that you know I can forgive sins, and they are astounded when he says that. We also know that when Jesus was on the cross, nailed to a cross, dying, he had two people next to him. They were criminals. They were there because of their sin. Jesus was there because of our sin. And the one was mocking Jesus, and the other one turns to his mate and said, don't do that. And he said something to Jesus, which in effect declared that he believed in Jesus and that he knew who he was. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise, even as Jesus is dying. He has authority to give life to a criminal who can't come off the cross and pay back the money. He can't can't go and say sorry to whoever he killed, uh, their their, their family. He can't do anything. He's also dying. But Jesus, in his last moments, has authority to say, you'll be with me in heaven. Not because of anything that guy's done, but because of the authority in Jesus. In one place in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way. Not one of the ways, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, the Greek for no one says no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it tells us there's going to be a bit about books tonight. There's a book called the book of life. And it's also at some places called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a book with the names of everyone whom Jesus has given eternal life to. And it's got his name on it. It's his book. Because he's the only one with authority to give eternal life. Peter, when he's preaching in Acts 4, proclaimed, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved? Acts four verse twelve. Now I tried this this morning. I'm going to try again. In Zulu, you could say "Akuzona zonke izindlela iziya ezulwini bazalwane." Amen. And what that effectively means is, all roads don't lead to heaven; only Jesus does. Brothers and sisters, according to the Bible, doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel, according to the Bible, there is only one way to heaven, and His name is Jesus. And so the good news is that if you bow the knee to Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you trust Jesus, if you ask Jesus to save you, He will. That's the good news. Notice from Jesus' prayer that it, He says that it's not those who are really well behaved. I'm so glad that's not the requirement. It's not those who are so thoroughly good in their behavior that get to heaven. No, Jesus says it's those who are saved by grace. Because the scripture says Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him. And so if he gives it, it's not being earned because he gave it. It is His to give because He paid the price on the cross when He died, and so He can give eternal life. And so our forgiveness and our access into eternal life with Jesus is an eternal gift that's given by Jesus. It's not earned by good living. Friends, it's not good people who go to heaven. Believers in Jesus go to heaven. And so Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. We see that from his prayer. But you could ask, well, who does he give it to? And and how does one receive the gift? You know, we're coming up for Christmas and kids, you know, my kids are getting older now. They just want money, you know. But but when they wanted presents, you know, they'd wake up at like unearthly hours, like, you know, 3.30 in the morning. Is it time? You know, I I used to be sleeping. I sleep on the one side of the bed that the kids would come in. And, and you just suddenly have the sense that someone's looking at you, and you open your eyes, and there's someone right there, you know, and it's like, is it time? It's like, no, it's not time. You know, kids know how to receive gifts, don't they? So you might say, well, how do I receive this gift of eternal life? Well, simply, the Bible says that the gift is, is available to those who believe in him, believe who he is, and believe what he has done for you. That's how you receive the gift. And so if you believe that Jesus is God and you believe that he died on the cross and rose again for your sin, you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. It's a gift. And so I want to say tonight, our first point is believe. Because Jesus gives eternal life to anyone who will believe in him. And maybe tonight will be your first time you ever truly believe. Secondly, from this prayer of Jesus, in verse 3, we have eternal life described you might say, well, that's great. I'm really glad Jesus gives eternal life. But what is eternal life? And uh, when I talk to people about heaven, you get all sorts of things. I went, went on Google, and you get all sorts of things when it comes to heaven. You know, is, is heaven floating around on a cloud playing a harp? I don't know how to play harp. You know, wearing an all-white toga-like thing with lots of doves. Like, is that heaven? Because that doesn't sound exciting to me, because I don't like harp music, and I don't want to wear a sheet, And doves are going to poo everywhere. Or is is eternal life like, you know, I can handle 25 minutes of worship. You know, Ningi's good. But 25 hours or 25,000 years, if I'm honest, I'm going to be bored. Put your hand up if you've ever thought that. There's some honest people out there. Friends, so what is eternal life? What is Jesus giving us? Well, Jesus defines eternity, not in terms of angels or pearly gates or clouds or harps or togas, you can be happy to say, to hear, but Jesus defines eternal life in this way. It's knowing God. That's eternal life according to Jesus' prayer. And so Jesus prayed in verse three, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god that's god the father and jesus christ whom you've sent friends this is eternal life it's to know god without any hindrances without any distractions like loud noises outside it it it's to know god with no hindrance at all and we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail in the next point but the big thing about eternal life is that you and I will know God. We'll be close to God with no hindrances and nothing in between us. No sin, no shame, total access to the presence of God, knowing God in a deeper way. A guy called Randy Alcorn said this, heaven will be knowing and seeing God Every other joy, and I believe there's lots of other joys in eternal life, every other joy will be derivative. In other words, it's secondary. It flows out of that first joy, flowing from the fountain of our relationship with God. Adam and Eve had this in the garden. You know, I believe the Garden of Eden was beautiful. Do you believe it was beautiful? I believe it was lush and it was beautiful and it was everything that they needed. But what made the Garden of Eden paradise was that God was there with them. And they used to have walks every day, and they could talk with God. Friends, heaven, eternal life, is a return to Eden. It's Eden restored. It's proximity, relationship, closeness to God restored for you and me. I want to take time in this third point to to pause and to ask the question, what do we know about life after death, eternity, for the believer in Jesus from the Bible. Because there's many people that when you start to talk about heaven, they glaze over at the point of harps and togas and clouds, and and then you just don't think about it anymore. And so I wanna ask the question, what happens after we die? And I'm gonna give you answers from scripture. Now on the table at the back, the the list of 14 points that I'm gonna give you, which is not exhaustive, I could've gone on, but we would've been here very late. All on that table over there, if you'd like to pick up a copy later on with the the references to everything, and it would encourage you to do some reading. What happens to us after we die? Well, that's a really good question to ponder. You know, many people shun someone speaking about death, as if you speak about death, then you're going to die. I spoke about it this morning. I'm still alive. But, you know, we should speak about death because statistics, as we've already heard, Make it clear that every one of us is inevitably gonna face our own mortality. And it's impossible to avoid since people die every day. Can you say not a fair, fair here today because they're at a funeral? Brothers and sisters, we all have a date in our diary. I don't know whether you keep a physical diary whether you keep an electronic diary, but you have a date in your diary and it's the day that you're gonna die. And you might be late for church, but you will not be late for that date. And you won't be early for it either. You know, if you don't go to gym tomorrow morning, you won't, you, won't, you won't be early for the date either. And you can't reschedule it. You can buy the best cream, but it won't reschedule your date. So let's talk about what the Bible says happens after we die. Firstly, death is a transition, not a termination. It's a transition from this life into the next life, the Bible says that in death, what is mortal, what was perishable, gets swallowed up with life. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. So when you die, what was mortal gets swallowed up with life. There's more life on the other side than death than this side of death. And so it's like getting into an elevator, someone once said, One day you stand, if you're at the Galleria, you're gonna get really old waiting for that elevator lift to open. But you stand in front of the doors and one day the doors open when you die. And it's kind of like you go in and then the doors close and then the doors open on another level. Death is a transition from this life to the next life. That's all that death is. After death, the Bible says that if you're a believer in Jesus, you will see God face to face 1 corinthians 13 12 you will know him he'll be known by you he will make his dwelling with you jesus prayer gets answered we will be transformed in that moment in god's presence we will be transformed into his likeness Now, some of you, having having put your faith in Jesus, you've made some progress in godliness, and, and some of you haven't made as much, and I haven't made very much at all. But in the moment that Jesus comes back, we will be like him as he is. That's what the Bible says. You will be glorified, is the word in Scripture. On that day that Jesus comes back, Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 1 says that we who've believed in Jesus will marvel at the majesty and the glory of who he is. You know, sometimes in worship, I, I don't know if you get this feeling, you just feel like these words are, are evoking thoughts and emotions and realities in me, but I'm not big enough for the realities that are, that are being evoked. I believe on the day that Jesus comes back, it's just gonna be amazing. The word the Bible uses is you're gonna marvel at Jesus and you're gonna worship him forever. On that day that Jesus returns, you might not know this about eternity, but there is no sun, and there is no moon, and there is no sleep. That might sound like bad news for you. And there are no lamps, according to Scripture. You can go get the verses behind. Why? Because Jesus is so gloriously radiant, there's no need for a sun or a moon or lamps. Jesus and His glory is what will be shining. That's Revelation 21, 23 and Revelation 22, five. In eternal life for those who put their faith in Jesus, you're not gonna just grow a little bit, you're gonna keep growing and growing and growing and growing in your knowledge of the greatness and the majesty of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that, that God in eternity is going to show you the immeasurable riches of the grace and the kindness that God has shown to you and me in giving us Jesus. It's like it's going to take the Father forever to show you how kind and gracious He's been to us in giving us His Son. And we're just going to sit there. It's like glory 101. This is what Jesus has done for you. And then glory 102 and 202, and it just keeps going. And we're just going to see more and more and more of the glory of Jesus and the wonder of his grace. And one day we know from Revelation 21, God is going to stand up and he's going to declare, Behold, I make all things new. And he's going to renew everything in a moment. Like that. And so the Bible says that eternal life is not spent playing a harp on a cloud, but eternal life is going to be in a new heaven and a new earth. And I love that, that the Bible says that we're going to a new earth because I know what this earth is like. And there's aspects of this earth that are amazing. Amazing but then there's also rubbish on the side of the streets and erosion and crime and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so but i know what earth is like and so i can imagine what new earth is like where there's no sin no pain no tears no corruption no no trash no nothing it's just going to be glorious and i'm really encouraged by that because sometimes when i look at a sunset or a sunrise or a walk on the beach or when I used to bodyboard or surf with Robs in, and there's just the perfect wave, and you in the green room, and Robs not—no joking. In those moments, you suddenly think, "Man, this is amazing." And you think, "Well, the best I've experienced here is nothing compared to what's to come." Randy Alcorn said this: "Every joy on earth is an inkling, a whisper of greater joy." the Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Amazon rainforest, the Serengeti Plains, they are rough sketches of the new earth. They're just faint little sketches of what's really to come. I love this. It's like licking the spoon from mama's beef stew an hour before supper. Now, I can identify with this because when we're cooking at home, the Boley boys just start appearing. It's like they're just drawn magnetically. And if you just turn your back for a moment, They're just having a taste, just to check that it's okay. You know, it's just like licking the spoon. This earth, the best you've experienced, it's like licking the spoon. It's not the meal. The meal's to come. Friends, the best is yet to come if you've put your faith in Jesus. Don't hold on so tightly to this life. This is just licking the spoon. This is very good news. We will receive glorified bodies. Notice the pun here, fit for eternity. We will receive glorified bodies. You might say, hallelujah, I'm ready for that glorified body. That body is going to be free from decay of sin, disease, and death. It will not be able to experience pain. There will be no more tears nor sadness. You will receive a glorified body that is fit for a new earth. A a body that can really live on an earth. You might say, well, what age am I? I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. But I think I'll trust God for that. Friends, we're going to receive glorified bodies in that moment. And we're going to attend a wedding feast. Who loves weddings? We're going to attend a wedding feast. You know, the Bible kind of starts with a wedding. Adam and Eve get married and it ends with Jesus marrying his church. And you've got an invitation. And it is going to be a party to remember. We are going to be wedded to Jesus. That's Revelation 19. And the Bible says God is going to make his dwelling with us. This is Eden restored. God's going to move into your neighborhood. He's going to be your neighbor And you're going to have close proximity. He's going to make his dwelling with us, Revelation 21. And this is full of mystery. The Bible says we are going to reign with Christ forever and ever. I don't know. Are you going to look after some galaxies or stars for the Lord Jesus Christ? I have no idea what that means, but it sounds good. We're going to reign with Christ forever. Friends, there will be no more death, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Where now, O death, is your sting? Where now, O death, is your victory? It's gonna be swallowed up in the life and the glory of Jesus. Friends, lastly, every hunger, every thirst, every passion will be satisfied. How? In God himself. He will be our source of unmatched joy and gladness. Hallelujah. I could go on. I encourage you to get the piece of paper and to go and read every one of those scriptures. Every one of those has got scripture behind it. Friends, if you've believed in Jesus, the best is yet to come. And I want to say that maybe you have not been thinking enough about eternity. You know, if you've not yet believed in Jesus, though, tonight, I would not be loving to just move on. If you've not asked Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, you might know of Jesus, but you haven't asked Him to become your Lord and Savior, then I would urge you to not delay any longer. Your friend knowing Jesus, your mother knowing Jesus, your brother, your spouse knowing Jesus, that's not going to cut it on that day. The question is, do you know Jesus? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's very clear. It says, after death, we face judgment. That's actually the first thing that happens after death, is we face judgment. And there's two types of judgments. The first judgment is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Did Jesus give you eternal life because you believed in him? If you've put your faith in Jesus, your name is in that book. You can rest secure. But if you've not put your faith in Jesus, if you've not asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, your name is not in the Lamb's book of life. That's the first judgment. Two Thessalonians, chapter one, verses eight and nine, makes it abundantly clear that at the end of the age, there's only two groups of people, those who did obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and those who didn't. Those are the only two groups of people. There's no tall people. There's no short people. There's no Chinese people. There's no... South American people, there's just, did you put your faith in Jesus or didn't you? That's the first judgment. And then for those who have put their faith in Jesus, there's a second judgment. And this judgment is for rewards. This judgment is like an award ceremony where you're going to get things handed out to you. We actually know that from the end of the book in Revelation 22:12. 12, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. He's coming, and he wants to give us rewards. So how you responded, let's say you put your faith in Jesus on this day, how you lived the rest of your life. You can't get saved by your good behavior but how you responded to what Jesus did in giving you eternal life by grace, how you then lived, God will give you rewards. And so the Bible is clear that there are books, Revelation 20 says, verses 11 to 15, books that are open that everything we've done as believers in Jesus has been recorded. The guys in the car park so that we can be in here safe, Jesus sees that. The people who are serving kids in and out, who are washing uh, dishes still at quarter past seven or locking up tonight, Jesus sees that. People who are giving faithfully, we don't know whether you're giving or not, Jesus knows. There's rewards in heaven, that's what Jesus says. But it says of this in Revelation 20, of anyone whose name was not found written in the book, this is what it says, Revelation 20 verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. And when I say that, you might say, I don't like what you just said. That doesn't sound loving. But you know, what you think or what you feel about something doesn't make it true or not. I would not be loving if this is the truth and this is what the Bible says and it is what the Bible says and I didn't tell you. All people have a choice and the choice is do I accept or do I reject Jesus Christ? There's no fence sitting. Some of the greatest minds in our history have said some things about rejecting Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. A gentle slope, soft underfoot, without any sudden turnings or milestones, and no signposts. His idea is that you go to hell by just not making a change of course. It's it's just something that you do you'll do if you just carry on without Jesus. Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian from America in the eighteen hundreds, said this Almost every natural man or woman that hears of hell flatters themselves that they will escape it. He depends on himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, in what he is now doing, or what he intends to do. Randy Alcorn said, no man can get out of hell, but every man can keep out of hell if you just accept Jesus. Friends, because death is inevitable, it's worth preparing today for that day. As we come to a close, let's look at the fourth thing that's in Jesus' prayer. And this is what Jesus really wants. Verse 24 of John 17. Father, I desire that they also, that's you and me, Whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants you and I to be with him forever. That's what he wants. That is the longing in the heart of God. It's the same longing that Hebrews 12.2 says motivated Jesus to endure the cross. When he looked at the cross and he knew what was coming, he decided because of the joy that's before me, you're the joy that's before him. He wanted you to be in heaven with him. We sang about it. He didn't want heaven without us, so he came down and died for us so that we could be with him forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, the good news I have for you tonight is that Jesus wants you and I who believe in Him to be with Him where He is as the exalted King of glory. And more specifically, in fact, the language that the Bible uses of this longing in the heart of Jesus, it uses a metaphor, and the metaphor that it uses is of a bridegroom who is longing for his bride. It's a bridegroom waiting to get married to his bride. I know this longing, I I went out with Nadine for six years and, and she even missed her graduation because I wasn't waiting any longer because I wanted to get married to her and she wanted to get married to me as well. I also know this longing, even now that we're married, I'm a very bad traveler because I just feel like I'm not with Nadine and with my family, I want to be where she is. I think you know this type of longing as well. If you've got family that are anywhere else in the country or people that you love and you can only talk to them on the phone and you can't look at them face-to-face, Skype doesn't count. You can't really look in their eyes and squeeze them or give them a hug. There's a longing in your heart to be with them, isn't there? How incredible is it that that's the language that Jesus is using about us? I just want to be with you face to face. I don't want to talk to you on the phone through prayer. I want to be with you. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he's praying to the Father. In Zulu, we would say that Jesus knows how to vakasha. Hey, Jabula? Hey, he knows how to just hang out. Hey? Or if we're Afrikaans, he knows how to care. And if you're English, it's just spend time. Just doesn't sound as nice, hey? Jesus wants to spend time with us, to care. Is that how you think of Jesus? Is Jesus aloof and far off and distant to you? Jesus wants. Now, obviously, you can spend time with Jesus in prayer and reading your Bible, and we worshiped just now. But that's like talking to him on the phone, isn't it? One day, you'll be face to face forever and ever. Lastly, Jesus is also praying. In this prayer, we see that he prays not just that we'd be with him, but that we would be able to see his glory. Jesus wants us to see him unhindered. He wants us to see him in his glory. Jesus is so remarkable. I've already told you this, but it's so remarkable that scripture tells us that there isn't a sun. There's no lamps, there's no lights, there's no moon because of the glory of Jesus. Revelation 22, 5 says, and when I think of the glory of Jesus and what He's done for us, again, I just go to Ephesians uh, 2, verse 7, where it, it kind of hints that it's going to take forever for God to show us the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of, G- of God in giving us Jesus. Friends, if you think you've gotten your head around, yeah, I know what Jesus did, He came and died on the cross. If you think you've got your head around the glory and the wonder of the grace of God in giving us Jesus, then I believe it, you've just revealed that you haven't got it yet, because it's amazing. Jesus' glory is amazing. Friends, Jesus prays that we would see His glory, and His prayer gets answered. Because you can read in 2 Thessalonians chapter one, verse 10, that on the day that He returns in blazing fire with angels and trumpets, he's going to be marveled at and gloried in His holy people we are gonna glory in him and he's gonna be glorified in us in that moment that we marvel at the magnitude of his grace. This is the prayer of Jesus. I find the theme of eternity in this, in this prayer. It's worth us spending time and thinking about what Jesus was praying about. Amen. I wanna ask you to stand and we're gonna close in prayer. Maybe you could just close your eyes with me. What a joy to spend these weeks looking into this prayer of Jesus. Why don't we just close our eyes together? I want to first pray with you if you know that you know of Jesus, but you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You're not certain. Is my name in the Lamb's book of life? I don't want you to leave in the same way. I don't want you to leave uncertain. And so I want to, with everyone's eyes closed, we don't make a fuss over any person. We don't want to put anyone on the spot. But if you are not certain whether or not your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, but if you want your name to be in the Lamb's Book of Life, I just want to encourage you to put your hand up just so that I can see it. You can put it down again. See that hand. See that hand. You can put it down again. Is there anyone else? You don't know. Is my name in that book? There's no pressure. There's love. I just want to pray for those people. You know who you are. You put up your hand. You know what you're feeling God's doing. You you know what. I've said and what you've heard from scripture. And Lord Jesus, I pray for every person in this room. And I pray that we would know that you want to give eternal life to us. That's why you died. I thank you that there is nothing extra that anyone has to do, that we just have to put our faith in you. So if that's you tonight and you put up your hand, why don't you just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross and that you died for my sin and you rose again so that you could give me eternal life. And so right now I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to give me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have authority to do that. And so I receive eternal life right now. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, or for all of us, I just want to pray for you. I really feel that sometimes the mistakes we make in this life can often be rooted in not living with a clear enough sense of eternity in our hearts. When we just live as though this life is all there is, we can make some seriously bad mistakes. And I wanna just pray that the whole topic of heaven and a new earth would just explode in your heart and it would become more of your reality. There's a guy who once said that Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that it's boring and that it, it therefore has no more power to to keep us in moments when we need to be kept. Sometimes when you're on a long journey, you need to remember where your destination is. And maybe that's for you tonight, just a reminder, a refreshment. This life is just licking the spoon. The best is yet to come. That's not just some wishful thinking, that's the scripture. There's authority in those words. So I just pray, Lord, for everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, that we'd be more heavenly-minded, that we'd be more eternally aware, and that that awareness would impact our now, and it would impact who we reach out to and who we impact, because we're aware and we're convinced of what Scripture says about eternity. Lord, I pray for that. your mighty name. Lord Jesus, thank you for including this prayer of yours in Scripture so that we could learn from it, and we could meditate on it, and we could be transformed by it. We thank you. We look forward to meeting you in glory one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to really encourage